Delivering the baby. Personnel. For a normally anticipated vaginal delivery, a physician or midwife with the aid of a nurse can appropriately and safely perform the procedure. Additional personnel are optional. However, support and coaching from a formerly trained doula, family member, or other partner can enhance the experience for the mother and result in a decreased need for analgesia. In addition, a, pedi- a pediatrician and anesthesiologist should be available and on call for any complications related to vaginal delivery. Preparation. As with any procedure, appropriate preparation and positioning of the patient are key to maximizing the success of the procedure while simultaneously minimizing morbidity and mortality. There are many factors to consider in preparing a patient for a vaginal delivery and the position of the patient changes based on progression of labor through its various stages. Patients should be adequately hydrated as hypovolemia during labor can cause fetal heart tracing abnormalities. Routine administration of antacids, routine enemas, and peritoneal shaving is not indicated. Systemic antibiotics are indicated for known positive group B streptococcus culture or unknown maternal GBS status. There is no evidence in the literature supporting intrapartum chlorhexine to uh, prevent maternal or neonatal infections during vaginal delivery. Conversely, this can lead to vaginal irritation and discomfort. However, some institutions and providers routinely use probodyne iodine solutions, especially if there is intrapartum defecation during labor and delivery. Once the patient is prepared for the delivery, it is important to ensure proper positioning of the vaginal delivery. For the first stage of labor, the patient should be connected to monitors and to assess fetal and maternal vital signs, as well as maternal uterine contractions. Progression of labor can be assessed by regular pelvic exams to assess the cervical effacement and dilation. This examination can be done every three or four hours as needed. A Foley urinary catheter can be placed, however, it is not necessary. Current literature suggests that bladder distension does not affect the labor progress. During the first stage of labor, mothers are encouraged to ambulate and move around on the bed until a comfortable position is reached. Walking during the first stage of labor has no effect on the progress of and does not cause inhibition of normal labor. Pushing with contraction should be begin and be encouraged once the cervix has completely dilated. At the time, the birthing bed should be detached with the physician by the patient's vagina. The patient is encouraged to be in a position that is is most comfortable for her while pushing, but is generally lying position where the patient is supine lithotomy position. Once the fetus is delivered during the second stage of labor, optimally the fetus is placed on the mother's chest with the umbilical cord initially clamped and cut, while the mother continues to maintain the same position until the placenta is delivered. After the placenta is delivered and all equipment is cleared, the mother can lay supine and recumbent in a position she finds most comfortable. Technique. Once maximal cervical dilation is reached and the patient experiences regular contractions every two to three minutes, she should begin to push. The best way to push is bearing down and the patient can be coached by asking the patient to push for at least 10 seconds and then at least two two or three times per contractions. The patient should be encouraged to push toward the baby's head and can be also be encouraged by asking the patient to minimize, minimize yelling while maximize pushing. While the patient continues to push, warm compresses can be applied and the perineum can be massaged digitally with lubricant to soften and stretch the perineum. In women without a history of vaginal birth, perineal massage reduced the incidence of perineal trauma and the need for episiostomies, but did not reduce the incidence of perineal trauma of any degree. 
The second stage of labor can continue as long as needed, as long as the fetal heart rate tracing is normal and progress is achieved, which can be quantified by progression of it in the fetal station. Once the fetus reaches crowning, the delivery of the fetus is imminent. At this time, the head of the fetus exerts a dilatory pressure on the perineum, which leads to a tremendous urge for the mother to push, but appropriate steps of delivery should be followed in order to minimize perineal trauma. Once the head crowns, a sterile towel or lap pad can be used to place to behold the, pe the fetal head. Once one hand should support the fetal head and maintain in the flexion position, while the other hand should be used to support the lower edge of the perineum by pinching it to avoid tearing or trauma. During this time, the mother should be encouraged to stop pushing and use small contractions to enable the physician to control the pace of the fetal head during delivery. Precipitous delivery of the head can cause perineal trauma. Once the head is delivered, the mother should once again be asked to stop pushing, and the neck should be manually examined for the umbilical cord. If a nuchal cord is detected, it should be reduced, and then the delivery of the rest of the fetus should continue. Routine oral pharyngeal care throughout suctioning is no longer supported by evidence, as gently wiping mucus from the child's face and nose is found to be equivalent. Once the head is delivered, the next step is for the delivery of the shoulders. With the next contraction and using gentle downward traction towards the mother's sacrum, the anterior shoulder is delivered as each side of the head is held. The maneuver allows the anterior shoulder to pass under the maternal pubic symphysis. While continuing to hold each side of the head, the posterior shoulder is delivered by applying gentle upward traction. It is important to apply the least amount of traction during delivery of the fetal shoulders to minimize the risk of traction-induced perineal injury and fetal brachial plexus injuries. After the shoulders are delivered, care must be ensured as the rest of the delivery is spontaneous and requires minimal maternal effort. It is important to guide the newborn's head, the newborn child's body as it passes through the birth canal. Once the child is delivered, the umbilical cord should be clamped after a delay. In full-term vaginal deliveries, evidence supports the delayed clamping, which is defined as clamping of the cord after 30 seconds, prevents anemia in infants. The umbilical cord should be clamped using two clamps that are appropriately three to four centimeters apart. The partner of the mother of the accompanying family member should be afforded the opportunity to cut the umbilical cord between the two clamps. Once the cord is cut, the newborn should be cleaned and one minute and five minute APGAR scores should be evaluated. If the APGAR scores are within normal limits, the infant should immediately be transferred to the mother and placed on her bare chest. Early skin-to-skin -skin contact with a newborn infant and mother serves multitude of functions. It's been shown to increase maternal infant bond and attachment, improve breastfeeding outcomes, and minimize head uh, infant head loss. The third stage of labor is defined as, as the time from the delivery of the fetus until the delivery of the placenta. After management, at this time of delivery can reduce risk of severe postpartum hemorrhage and the need for a blood transfusion. The active management of the third stage begins before the delivery of the placenta and includes the urotonic agent administration. Application of gentle traction is up to the umbilical cord after clamping and uterine massage. The preferred uterotonic agent is oxytocin, which is administered immediately after the delivery of the fetus. Signs of placental separation from the uterus, such as a gust of blood, should be observed as the uterus contracts. Cord traction facilitates the separation of the placenta and enables its delivery. 
One method of cord traction application is known as the Brant Andrews maneuver, in which one hand secures the uterine fundus of the abdomen to prevent uterine inversion, while the other hand exerts sustained downward gentle traction of the clamp on the umbilical cord. This maneuver leads to a reduction in the need for manual placental removal. In addition, there is statistically significant reduction in the duration of the third stage of labor, blood loss, and incidence of postpartum hemorrhage. Once the placenta is delivered, it should be thoroughly inspected on the outside by inverting it to check for missing pieces because retained products of conception are a known risk factor for postpartum hemorrhage. Complications There are numerous complications associated with vaginal delivery. These complications vary by stages of labor and are dependent upon numerous factors. In general, complications can be generalized by the following categories, failure to progress, abnormal fetal heart rate tracing, intrapartum hemorrhage, and postpartum hemorrhage. Failure to progress can happen in either the first stage or the second stage. Failure to progress to the first stage of labor can be either protraction of active phase of labor, which is defined as cervical dilation rate less than one or two centimeters per hour in women whose cervix is at least six centimeters dilated. The arrest of the first stage of labor is defined as no change in cervical dilation for more than four hours in a woman with adequate uterine contraction, defined as 200 monoveto units or greater, or no change in cervical dilation to a woman for more than six hours with inadequate contraction strength. Protracted labor can be managed by augmenting labor with oxytocin, which is a uterotonic agent. Women who are who with arrested labor are managed by conversion of vaginal delivery to a cesarean section mode of delivery. Failure to progress during the second stage of labor is diagnosed when there is minimal descent of the fetus in a nulliparous women who have pushed for a minimum of three hours with multiparous women who have pushed for a minimum of two hours. Women with epidural anesthesia are allowed slightly longer durations for pushing. Failure to progress during the second stage of labor due to inadequate contractions or minimal descent of the fetus can be managed with, by the administration of oxytocin to augment labor after 60 to 90 minutes of pushing. If this does not help, an operative vaginal delivery using a vacuum or forceps or a cesarean section should be considered. Failure to progress can also be due to abnormal passage of descent for the fetus, which is nor directly related to cephalopelvic disproportion. Cephalo -dispropor cephalic disproportion can be related to fetal malposition or macrosomia and is subjective diagnosis, which requires conversion to the, to the delivery to a cesarean section. Cephalopelvic disproportion is most commonly observed during the second stage of labor. During a vaginal delivery, the fetal heart rate must be monitored and decelerations during labor, whether early decelerations or late decelerations, can indicate head compression of the fetus, cord compression of the fetus, hypoxemia, and even anemia of the fetus. If the abnormal fetal heart rate persists, resolution can be attempted by removing labor augmenting agents such as oxytocin or repositioning the mother on the lat left lateral side. If these maneuvers do not lead to the resolution of abnormal heart rate, an emergent cesarean section is indicated. Vaginal delivery can be complicated by intrapartum hemorrhage. During a normal vaginal delivery, some blood from the effacement of the cervix or minor trauma of the vaginal canal can mix with amniotic fluid and can prevent the uh, can present as a serosanguinous appearance. However, the appearance of frank blood is abnormal and can either be due to placental abruption, uterine rupture, placental acrate undiagnosed placenta previa or vasoprevia. These conditions are true obstetric emergencies and require an emergent cesarean section. 
Finally, vaginal deliveries can be complicated by postpartum hemorrhage. Postpartum hemorrhage can be due to autonomy of the, of the uterus, trauma of the birth canal, retained products of conception, or due to coagulopathy. Uterine autonomy is the most common form of postpartum hemorrhage. Clinical significance. Proper preparation, monitoring, and technique during vaginal delivery are important to minimize morbidity and mortality to both the mother and the fetus. While cesarean section deliveries are absolutely necessary for certain peripartum conditions, cesarean section deliveries have been shown to increase the long-term risk of small bowel obstruction in women. Additionally, cesarean sections correlate with an increased risk of uterine rupture, abnormal uh, placentation, for future pregnancies, ectopic pregnancies, preterm births, and stillbirth. Evidence suggests cesarean section deliveries lead to differing and altered physiology in neonates due to exposure to differing hormonal, physiological, microbiological, and medical exposure, which can affect short-term and long-term development. Short-term risks for two babies include alterations in the immune system, increased likelihood in developments of allergies, asthma, and reduced intestinal microbiome. While long-term risks include the development of obesity and risks associated with obesity. Conversely, advantage of success, successful vaginal delivery are numerous to both the baby and the mother. With vaginal delivery, there's a higher chance of being able to breastfeed successfully shortly after delivery. Decreased hospital stay after childbirth, rapid recovery physically and psychologically, and increased mother-child bond and attachment. For the baby, the benefits of vaginal delivery include improved hormonal and endocrinological functions such as blood sugar regulation, respiratory function, temperature regulation, and increased in exploratory behaviors. Other benefits include long-term growth, immunity, development compared to children born as a result of a cesarean section.